It's July 25th, 2022, and this is the Watson Weekly, your essential e-commerce digest. Today on our show, we have the one-year anniversary of the Watson Weekly, and with that, we have a special guest host for the episode, David Hoffman, who's the principal at Citizen Racecar, is a production partner for the Watson Weekly. Hey, Rick, it's so fun to be here. Congratulations, Mazel Tov, a full year of episodes. One year. I'm as excited as you are, my friend. So we thought it would be fun. Like you said, I, I work with Citizen Racecar. We've been helping you produce the show from the beginning. And we thought just to do something special to mark your first anniversary, maybe we'd spin things around, we'd pull back the curtain a little bit and actually interview you about the process of making the show, let people see into what goes into it every week and where you're coming from and maybe where we'll be going for the next year. That sounds great. I'm really excited about that, David. All right. First of all, how's it feel to be on the other side of the uh, of the microphone here? <laughs> A little nerve wracking, I'll have to say. <laughs> it's different, right? Yeah. All right. Well, listen, I just jotted down a couple of questions that I thought people, your audience might like to hear. And I want to start with a little bit more about you where you're coming from, maybe your personal professional history and the history of RMW Consulting. Yeah. So my background is, you know, I've been in e-commerce for over 20 years now and through all sorts of different roles from starting as a software engineer after having electrical engineering background to being at barnesandnoble.com, leading their marketplace to CEO of Merchantry, and then leading the cross-border group at Pitney Bowes Global E-Commerce team. And then kind of as I started the consulting firm about three years ago, actually, I can't believe it's like three and a half years now, basically. And it seems like the time is just flying by, which I guess is a good thing. I knew early on that I didn't want to be just like a freelancer just helping people kind of on the side for projects. I wanted to have a firm that was able to attract its own clients. And to do that, lo and behold, you need to do marketing. And, you know, it's something that I actually have always enjoyed is speaking and writing. It's so funny, about a year before I started the podcast, I started to get pretty regular requests, at least monthly, like, when is your podcast coming? When can we expect to hear more from you on a podcast? So it took me a little while to get my head around what that would look like. Well, it was coming out of this incredible amount of content you were putting out on LinkedIn, which I was so impressed with. I mean, there were daily, maybe even twice daily sometimes, these long <laughs> posts and all this information. So I could see why people who were reading that regularly would be like, we want more, you know? H how did you start developing that and just coming up with all of this really amazing amount of content about your industry. Yeah, I, I think the content really just started from my own interest. And he, here's the problem with LinkedIn. So like my content journey just started on a blog. I started a blog. Uh, and of course, like everyone else, like no one reads anyone's blog, like literally zero people read any, any new blog ever. And so I started posting the content on Twitter and LinkedIn. And I found that LinkedIn had 90% of the traffic. So I'm like, okay, maybe maybe I should start just right. posting on LinkedIn. That took me about a, two weeks to figure out. So I'm like, okay, I know if this is gonna be valuable, I need to just be doing it every day and just treat it as before I start work in the morning, I'm gonna post something. 
And it's going to be about you know a few different things. One is something recent that's happening in the industry. Second is maybe a meeting I had, a, a concept that came out of a meeting I had with somebody was struggling with that I thought someone else might benefit from. Sometimes I just pull from my own background. Hey, like 10 years ago, I did this thing and it didn't work at all. Like, let me tell you about it. So maybe you don't make the same mistake or something like that. So I think the short answer to your question is I do a lot of reading on the space, what's happening. And I try to just use the lens of who's going to care about this? And is it interesting enough to write about? Because there's a lot of things that are happening that aren't that meaningful. But there are a few things that are happening every week that people should pay attention to. And I try to pull those things out. I mean, that that leads into another question I had, which is, you know, the show is so informative and you're, you're always coming up with these stories and it, some of it's things that everyone, are, you know, reporting and some of it's stuff that you're just not going to hear anywhere else. Where do you get your information? What are you reading that's made you into this? Because I got to say, a weekly show about a marketplace like you do would normally have this big staff of producers and <laughs> and writers and people producing segments and researching. And you really do all of the research and writing yourself, which is amazing. Where do you get all your information? Yeah. The shorter answer is there are a few newsletters I like, a few industry publications. I like a lot of the retail dives and marketing dives. There are a few fundraising news sources that I like. One that I like in particular is called Axios Pro Rata but there are a few others. Google alerts are always a good source. So I have a set of keywords that I track for topics that I care about. And those tend to be the types of topics I write about on the show. Of course, anyone who's ever signed up for a Google alert knows there's a lot of junk. If I get one, e one email a day with 15 links, some days there's nothing in there that's useful. It's all spam or something. And some days there's three articles in there that I might want to write about. I also have a few Slack channels that I'm a member of and so a lot of times those Slack channels, those are my testing grounds for ideas. So I might throw it to someone in my network and say, hey, what do you guys think about this? I think this is actually a huge mistake that Amazon is making. What do you guys think? And so I'll get feedback and I'll use that to test ideas. So I, I kind of have a few different ways to test ideas from people in my network. I also have an analyst, Kaylee, who's amazing, who, who works with me at RMW Commerce. And she helps me find and you know, summarize some of these articles as well. So I bet your audience would love to hear more about the process of creating the show. Could you just walk us through what a typical week, what the production calendar looks like uh, for, for a typical episode of the Watson Weekly? Yeah. So the short answer is the Watson Weekly is based on a set formula. And the formula was studied pretty early on in that it's sort of four stories and then a couple of months in, I also added uh, some investor tidbits. And I remember when I brought that to you, you're like, oh, okay, something new. It's your show, man. We're here for you. Whatever, whatever you want to do is great. <laughs> no, it's great. And so if you think about it, four articles plus kind of four to five investor tidbits, that's about an article a day. And so essentially, I need to write an article a day or that uh, round about that pace. So... The typical situation is the podcast comes out on Monday morning, but I will have recorded it that previous Thursday. And so it will be produced by your team, as you all know, but my listeners don't. You'll help me clean up everything, get it posted to all the channels out there, and then scheduled for Monday morning so that 
as my listeners are having their Monday morning coffee, or I don't know if, you know, do people commute to work anymore? I, I remember when somebody we first must. talked about, yeah, somebody must. I've also had people say they walk their dog to my podcast, which it, I think it's about the right length to walk a dog to 10 or 15 minutes, maybe. I don't Depends know. Depends on the should, dog, I guess. Yeah, you should probably be walking your dog. A like if you're dog. walking your dog to my podcast, you should probably be walking your dog a longer time. Maybe you're listening to multiple podcasts, probably. Maybe it's a small dog. Like, <laughs> like a little, you know, Bichon Freeze or something. Only wants it to yeah. you. Know, a little like Pomeranian. A, yeah, if you have a Rottweiler, you know, Pitbull, you need, you need two or three episodes, I would think, for a good. Exactly. Yeah, just queue them up. So essentially Thursday, I don't really write anything new. Wednesday, by the end of the day, Wednesday, I try to finalize the episode and, and go through any edits, kind of just look at everything, make sure that when I wake up Thursday morning, on paper, you mean you're writing you're writing things out on paper yeah, at that stage. Yeah. So on you know, there are a lot of people, you know, one of the things I saw was that you know, obviously there are lots of different types of podcasts. One is like this, where one one person is being interviewed or there's a conversation. And then there are some podcasts that are just people talking without any prepared notes. And I think one of the things we found in our first couple of practice episodes that we did before launch was that the show flowed better and was tighter if things were written out. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the great things about the show is it's very concise. You make your points, you know exactly what you want to say. You've thought about how you want to say it. Because I think a lot of business podcasts, particularly a lot of sort of a CEO starts a podcast kind of podcast can be very rambly and very kind of shaggy. And I love how this is just, it's a news source for people. It's its concise. You get your digest. You get your, you get, this is the news you need that week uh, right. if you're in this industry, which I love. Yeah. So it, some people ask me, like, are you are you just talking off the cuff or you're writing it out? Uh, actually, pretty much 99% of what you hear every week on the Watson Weekly, I've, I've written out in advance but it, it comes from me. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm the person that's writing it. Although I do have some help with, with some of the sources. And then I wake up Thursday morning, I record it, send it off to uh, you and the team. And that's when the magic happens. And a shout out to Alex uh, Brower, who does the post-production of your show. And he always does an amazing job on uh, Thursday, Friday, uh, just making it sound great. And then, and then we publish it. We, we usually schedule it mid end of the day Friday. So nobody has to work over the weekend. So it goes out first thing Monday morning for people. Yeah, no. So that so that works out well. So I, on my list of questions here, I have the words "writer's block?" question mark Are there ever times where you're like, "I just there's nothing I want to talk about this week," or I have two things? What are the other two going to be? And what do you do then? Wow. Yeah, that's a good question. Sometimes I have to dig more than others. Sometimes, you know, I go on a Thursday morning, and actually, I don't like one of them. I'll write something and it may not be the story like I wish I had, but it's the story that's there because maybe it's a quiet week. Some weeks I have too many stories. I can't decide what to write about or which ones are the best ones to include. And some where I might have two good stories and then I have two stories that are like, ah, this isn't so interesting. Sometimes I, I wake up Thursday morning and there's a new story and I'm like, well, if I don't include it in next week's podcast, then it's going to be a week and a half and the news like already is going to be old. It's going to be out there everywhere. So sometimes I'll write a new story Thursday morning if there's something new. If I, And so it could even replace. So one answer to your question is like sometimes news stories replace ones I had written even the day, you know, a few hours before I record the podcast, but I'll still like write it out and figure out what I think about it. Sometimes with a LinkedIn post. So that's one thing that 
that helps me if I'm writing on LinkedIn every day is... Which you still do, right? I mean, you've maintained right, 100%. that. 100%. An additional, wow. Yeah, so... You're a machine, man. Content machine. So there is, you know, obviously overlap between LinkedIn and the podcast, but usually I would say about two, you know, two to the four, two to the five stories a week are probably shared with LinkedIn. But you know, the nature of LinkedIn is that it's social media. So people are going to miss things. It's a different audience than listens to my podcast. So I've never had one person ever say like, hey, you know, you should do something unique on your podcast because I, I've heard it before. I think LinkedIn is just naturally missed. There's so much noise on LinkedIn that even people who are looking for me sometimes don't find me. Which I guess is the beauty of the podcast is that people who really want to hear your thoughts, they can subscribe and they, they won't miss anything. They will, they'll right. never miss an episode. Yeah. And I think that's one of the valuable things about a podcast that I find. And it's even better if you think about, oh, well, I can have an email list. And like, well, how many email subscriptions does the average person have? Like hundreds. 10,000, <laughs> I mean, that I know of. Yeah. yeah and, they, and they all go into the same spam, you know, spam or promotions folder and you have to pick them out. And yeah, maybe three, three of those subscriptions might go into their inbox, but the rest of them are, will not. Uh, whereas, you know, if there are frequent podcast listeners, at least weekly or monthly, there's a, there's a much better chance that you're going to break through, you know, with that. Maybe that's a good segue. Tell me about the feedback you're getting about the show. What are people telling you? Yeah, the, the, the feedback has been really great. I, I'm always impressed to hear the people that are listening to me. Like I might schedule a call with someone and they'll tell me, wow, I can't believe I'm actually talking to you, which is something <laughs> that's great. I, I never thought I would hear. And you know, some people have told me, oh, I listen to your podcast every week. So especially if I go to like a trade show, like a, like Shop Talk, I walked up to a couple of booths and I said, hey, I'm Rick Watson. You know, I own a consulting business and I'd love to learn a little bit more about your product. And you were like, I know who you are. I'm like, you know, what do you mean you know who I am? I don't know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> You're experiencing celebrity. That's fantastic. So first of all, I think people were surprised. Pod fade is a real thing. You know, people start a podcast and then it dies after about a month. Uh, they stop. Or producing. three episodes. Yeah, exactly. Or, right. Yeah, three or four episodes or something like that. And the fact that I've been consistent with it, that was really my number one goal. Like, I didn't necessarily care how many people listened to it. I just wanted to be able to do it consistently so I can figure out what it was uh, and, and figure out if, you know, is this going to be useful for people? And I, I think it has been. I, I definitely get really good feedback. I get people telling me they're learning new things from it all the time. And so if I'm able to help people in the industry, particularly people who are new to it, but also, you know, people who have been in it a long time. But if, if you've only been in e-commerce for a year or two, there's so much to learn. And I think one of the original goals of the podcast wasn't just to report the news. Obviously, there's so many places to get news. It's an overload. But why do I think that this news is interesting or important or what does it mean? That gives me the chance to put my own spin on it and to explain and to help teach the listener about part of e-commerce that maybe I know something about, maybe I don't. Maybe I've just done research for it for an article, but yeah, I just think it's, it's one of the fascinating parts of the process. Let's talk a little bit about the past year of e-commerce. Um, I'm curious, 
you know, now that we have a year of sort of, as you say, 10, 10 stories a week, perhaps, uh, to, to think back on, you often make predictions uh, on the show where you're thinking, you know, this, this is an important trend. I see these guys, I think, are making a mistake. These guys are doing the right thing. I'm curious if there's, looking back at the sort of stories you've reported on the last year, is there one that you're really proud of? You're like, I really got that right. I predicted this was going to happen and this happened. And on the other side, is there one where you just totally missed it? You said this is going to happen and the opposite happened. Yeah, I mean, it, it's so difficult. I make predictions all the time, but I also don't like making predictions. What I love doing more than anything else is looking at an event that happened, a company does X, and then trying to get in the mind of the of the CEO or the company and the people there. It's like, why did they do this? And what does it mean for what they're going to do next? And I find that if I do that over and over and I read articles and I try to get in the head of the CEO, sometimes I can get actually pretty good at that. So what I think one where I'm actually pretty proud of, where I definitely called it a few months in advance, was Amazon's launch of Buy With Prime. I didn't predict it would be called Buy With Prime, but I did predict that Amazon was going to try to move Prime off of Amazon. So that if you're a normal website, like if you're a Shopify merchant or a big commerce merchant, you're going to be able to offer products with the Prime promise and get that product to your customers within a day or two because the logistics will be powered by Amazon. And I think I said that a few months before it came out. That came on the back of, okay, there's, what did I see coming into that? The past two years, there was like very public news sort of leaking out of Amazon saying that they were trying to build a store maybe to compete with Shopify. And there was also sort of very public information that Amazon's general business was slowing down slightly and other types of e-commerce were growing. And so I kind of thought that if they're going to go and expand, they're going to try to expand and take a share of off Amazon e-commerce. And that they're going to do that by trying to leverage like one of their big crown jewels is Prime. Like how are we going to use Prime to, to gain more share for the consumer? So that I think that was one of the interesting things that I enjoyed predicting. Look, I, I think all this post-COVID correction with e-commerce valuations, I don't think anyone got it right. And, you know, I didn't necessarily predict that e-commerce was going to keep growing at the at the pace it did during the height of the pandemic. I didn't predict it would decline either. It's just more watching what was happening and helping people navigate those changes is kind of, you know, one of the things that I do for my business. I'm curious, too, looking back on the past year, are there any overarching trends, themes that you find particularly interesting thinking back on everything that's happened in the last year of your industry? Well, I mean, the last couple of years, I mean, the last year has been really crazy with, it kind of takes us from the peak of COVID, no stores open to now everything is reopened and people are wondering what things are going to stay with us permanently and which things are going to be transitory because of COVID. And so I, I think that's one of the biggest trends that I see in the in the articles I write because companies that are in, in this situation or in e-commerce somewhere, they're trying to figure out what, what things do we need to keep investing in and which things should we ignore? We're like, oh, that was a COVID thing. No one's ever going to do that again. 
or you know, in, in that way. And I think kind of Peloton, for instance, had a moment and they started really overproducing the bikes. And then they got into a big trouble because, you know, their supply chain costs were extremely high. And then that caused them to get a new CEO and who's still making changes. You know, meanwhile, someone like Target developed a curbside business, which is one of the biggest drivers of their growth right now. And I don't think curbside is going away, you know? And so I think the tri- those sorts of things, like what things are stay are going to stay with us and what things are, are not going to stay with us, I, I think are going to be some of the most interesting things uh, kind of going forward and, and that I've learned over the past year. Tell me about moving forward with the podcast. What are you seeing for, uh, for ne- this, the next year? Do you have goals? Do you have plans? Anything you'd like to do that we're not currently doing? Let's have an on-air production meeting. How about that? Yeah, that that sounds great, <laughs> great, David. Um, <laughs> I think you know, in terms of goals for the podcast, is you know, I'd love to keep increasing, you know, the listenership and and the visibility of what we're doing. I think having more regular e-commerce industry thought leaders on here, yep, um, I, I think would be super interesting. I also think playing with sponsorship. I know there are a lot of companies that would be interesting to get in front of the audience that I'm trying to cultivate. And and, and again, my goal was never to be the widest industry. You know, I didn't want to have the most listeners or subscribers. I wanted the most important ones. I wanted the the, the decision makers totally a, yep. as my listeners. And so I think as uh, one of the things that I've noticed from the podcast is that. I definitely have been getting more speaking engagements. And I think it's probably because people can can hear me every week and you're like, actually, well, I'd love to if he would come to talk to my company. And so I think that will bring the podcast on the road. I actually went to a conference earlier this year, Global E-commerce Leaders Forum, where I was the something I never thought would ever happen to me. I was the like featured podcaster or something. I don't know what the hell they called it. Yeah, they, I remember the signs. You sent us pictures. They had like the official conference podcasting suite <laughs> set up for you to to do, you know, a couple of interviews. It was fantastic. Yeah, so I was interviewing uh, the speakers, you know, that were on the stage and, and sort of featured guests there. And, and that was fun. I'd, I'd love to do that again if there are events, you know, that, that are out there that, that would love to see that kind of thing too. So those are some of the goals that I think about. This has been a lot of fun, Rick. I think the listeners are really going to enjoy it. Um, any final thoughts about the year that was, the year to come, the podcast in general that you want to share? Yeah. I mean, I would love to just continue to meet subscribers that are out there. Feel free to reach out to me directly, rick at rmwcommerce.com. Really, the podcast was made to be as useful as possible because yeah, I think one of the most interesting things is like when I started the podcast, I just went, I just searched on e-commerce in Spotify and Apple and e-commerce podcasts. And I found that, you know, 80% of the podcasts out there were kind of two things. One is it was like, oh, my husband, my partner quit, quit their job and started an e-commerce site. And now I'm a millionaire. How do you do it? You know, you can do it too. That was one e-commerce podcast. Let's call that the uh, one step away from multi-level marketing model of uh, <laughs> e-commerce podcasting. Right. And, and the other one was um, basically just guest interviews. And so they would wake up every week 
and or every month. And it, it wasn't as frequent. It was interviewing people. I didn't find that the interview scripts were very good. A lot of times podcasts take a long time to get to the point. And so I thought from a positioning point of view, like what if I could do the opposite of that? Like, can I just be weekly, timely, interesting? You don't have to wait around. Like I think within 10, 15 seconds of every Watson Weekly, I'm already starting on stories. Like there's no, I don't even tell you who I am until the end, right? So that's one of the things I think I'm most proud of is it's not about me. It's really about helping the audience understand the space just a little bit better that week. Well, speaking for me and my team, I think what you do is fantastic. And it's been amazing to, to hear you grow into it and get better and better. And, uh, and we're really proud to partner with you and to, to help make this show happen and can't wait for the next year and the one after that. Yeah, thanks a lot, David. Uh, I, I really enjoy working with you and the Citizen Racecar team and uh, onward and upward. Onward and upward. That's all for this week. Till next time, Watsonians. Hi, I'm Rick Watson, CEO and founder of RMW Commerce Consulting and host of the Watson Weekly Podcast, your essential e-commerce digest. Our show is produced by Citizen Racecar. Alex Brower is the producer and also wrote our theme music. The executive producer is David Hoffman. To hear new episodes of the show every Monday morning, subscribe now at rmwcommerce.com slash Watson Weekly and wherever you get your podcasts.